Our scripture reading today is from 1 John chapter 3 and Romans chapter 12. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. First John chapter 3 verses 14 to 18. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 13. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Clinch to what is good. Be devoted to brothers and sisters in Christ, in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual favor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Emmanuel. Thank you, my you may be seated. Thank you so much, my brother Emmanuel, for being at each service. I'm so thankful God sent your family to us. Well, in this reset series that we're in right now in Romans 12 and 13, the issue that I want us as a church to reset today has to do with our love for one another here in our church family. So here is the reset phrase of the week. See what you think of it. Uh, in view of God's mercy, let your love for your Lake Avenue church family be genuine and without hypocrisy. It's almost a sermon in itself, but I'm going to do more anyway. Uh, to get at this, let's, let's review what brings us up to that point. Uh, in the book of Romans so far, the Apostle Paul has told us a couple of things. Uh, number one, in the first 11 chapters, he tells us how much all of us need the mercy of God. Can I have a witness here? But he also has told us in Romans that God has 
provided mercy for us through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Then in response, second, we should live lives in view of the mercy of God to us, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12. And then last week's message, when we've reset our lives on the mercy of God, that will always immediately lead to us longing to serve one another according to the gifts that the Spirit of God gives us. And that brings us to Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 13, in which we discover the Apostle Paul saying that even if in your local church you have all the gifts that you could ever imagine, and we have many of them here at Lake, don't you think? If you had all the gifts that you could ever even imagine and you don't love one another, it won't do you one bit of good. That's what he essentially tells, tells us here. You may know that the Apostle Paul says that in other places, like in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, if you have all the gifts and all these things in all the world, but you don't have love, he said that's like a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. It's just not anything that, that is worth anything. And it essentially is exactly what Jesus said. Um, I'll show you these verses, though you know them well. Uh, in his farewell discourse, just before he went to die on the cross, the first command that he gave his followers was this. It's found in John chapter 13, verses 33 to 35. My children, Jesus said, I will be with you only a little longer. You cannot now come where I am going. So a new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this will all people know that you are my followers, if you have love for one another. It's pretty clear, isn't it? And yet I think Jesus also, knowing us, knew how hard it would be for us actually to love one another in this way. Uh, I think it particularly he understood that in a church like Lake, where we come from so many different backgrounds and so many different perspectives, how is it going to be possible that in a very divided and broken world, we're going to be able in this world to be able to have a love for one another? So we find him praying for us just before he goes to die on the cross. It's the only real prayer we have of Jesus for us, and it's found in John chapter 17, verse 20 to 23. This is a part of it. My prayer, Father, Jesus prayed, is not for these 12 disciples alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Who is that? Who is that? Okay, some of, yeah, you saw, that's us. He's praying for us, and what is the prayer? that all of them may be one Father. May they be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me. Then the world will know that you love them. It, it just seems to me that Jesus knew what is at stake in what we're talking about today. That the only way this world, the San Gabriel Valley, is going to really know that we're followers of Jesus and that God really sent Jesus is if they see his love among us. And so we've got to think about what he has to say. And that brings us to verse 9, in which Paul says, Love must be without hypocrisy. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. It's amazing to me that... Uh, of all the things that Jesus might about have said about the way we're supposed to love one another, he doesn't say, uh, let your love be bold, uh, let it be warm, 
he says, let it be without hypocrisy. Now, I don't know what version of the Bible you have. Sometimes it's translated, let your love be sincere. Sometimes it's translated, let your love be genuine, and those are both good. But the real word that the Apostle Paul uses is is this, let the love be something that flows from the inside to the outside. The word is us being the very same on the outside as we are on the inside. Nothing hidden. Word is for an actor putting on a mask. Don't let it be like that. Let it be absolutely real. Now, I'll tell you, uh, this will be hard for us in our culture, and maybe not just in ours, but in every, because aren't there so many things in our world that um, try to make sure that we hide those things that are inside ourselves? Social media, usually we're just trying to portray to other people what we hope they'll think we are instead of what we really are. Uh, When we go for jobs, I mean, we don't open up everything inside of us. We, only the best part we'll think we'll never get the job. But when you apply to a college or a university, you don't put everything down there. And in, in families where we feel like everybody just expects us to be perfect, we often feel, well, if they saw what was really inside, I may not be accepted. So it's hard when we feel like there's so much loss, loss of a potential job or admittance to a school or perhaps even a relationship within our family or friends to really be transparent, to be from the inside to the outside. But he says this is what has to happen in your lives when you become followers of Jesus. If you're going to genuinely love, you can't do it unless you love genuinely from the inside to the out. And if we wonder how's that gonna happen, I think the next two phrases, which really are rather shocking when we think about what love is talked about in our world. He says, love without hypocrisy, hate. Usually we don't put those words, love, hate. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Very strong words. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. And when you do, he says, you'll be able to love without hypocrisy. What on earth is that all about? Does that make any sense to you? I had one yes, but I think most of us would say no because I had to think about it a lot myself. So let me just tell you what I think is going on here. I think it takes us back to Romans chapter 12, verse 1, in which we say we live in view of God's mercy. We haven't earned our way to God. And when, when you and I, as all of us as followers of Jesus, have had to acknowledge that I can't make it myself, I need his forgiveness, I need his cleansing. Apart from God's mercy, there's no hope for me. Do you feel that? When we believe that and we have actually found God's mercy through faith in Jesus, then what happens is we no longer can pretend that we're something more than we are. We can no longer have this hypocrisy that makes us say other people in the world need mercy, but I don't because I have it all right because we've already acknowledged God's mercy. In fact, when we come to church, we all know, too, that God isn't done with us yet. We still have stuff in our lives that we have to confess to the Lord. Amen? And so he says, when you see that inside of yourself, abhor those things that are evil. We often pull that out of its context, and we say, well, yeah, abhor those things out in the world that are evil, but not, not inside my heart. But this is where it starts, my brothers and sisters. And that when we abhor what is evil, and then we turn to the Lord and say, Lord, that's in my heart, but look, you have seen something in me worthy of being redeemed. (laughs) Because don't you love this about the gospel of Jesus Christ? 
that when we come to him, even though he knows everything about us, that there is still evil in our hearts. He doesn't just destroy us or obliterate us. He starts with the good that he still sees. There's something inside of us that is redeemable that God himself sees, and we cling to that. We who have needed mercy find mercy, forgiveness, and renewal. Hallelujah. Now, when that happens, when that happens, that takes away the pride that makes it so that we can't love other people. It makes it so that we look down at other people. Indeed, it's just like the Apostle Paul, one of my favorite texts in the Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He once tried to pretend that he was perfect. I had everything. I was a Pharisee. I was from the best family. I did all these things. But then he found out Jesus had to die for him or he had no hope. And he received it. And he had to look at himself differently, a mercy-needing man as I am and as you are. But he had found mercy in Christ. And he said, and he died not only for me. You know what he said over and over? He died for all. He died for all. Therefore, that love that has reached me compels me to go out and be his ambassador of love. I look at nobody the way I used to. See, this is what makes it possible for us to love without hypocrisy. Because with gratitude and humility, we know we've received it. And we offer to others what we have found in Christ. A new beginning, the opportunity of forgiveness, and the promise of remaking. That is the gospel. And a community, a church, when we gather, that's what we should be. That's what we should be. Love, he says, without having to hide anything. Because you found mercy in Christ, you don't have to hide it. So I've been asking... What would a local church look like? What would Lake look like if we actually grew in loving this way? And that took me to verses 10 through 12. And I hope you'll have your Bible and look at it. If you don't have a Bible with you, I'll put the phrases in the Bible uh, up in front of it so you can see it. Because what I see God's Word doing is that it turns to us and it kind of shows us from God's own perspective what a community like Lake should be growing to become if we will love without hypocrisy. Each phrase, it's almost like a collage, you know, where you have each picture sort of connected, they overlap. We get to see the whole when we see it all together. I'll show it to you. Ready? Uh, number one, verses, chapter 12, verse 10a. It's a call, I think, to have an unbreakable affection for one another. And his phrase is, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. I'll just tell you, this is family talk. There are two family words there. Uh, the word translated love is the word Philadelphia. Uh, like the city of Philadelphia. You know what it means? The city of brotherly love. But if you ever watch the fans of their sport teams, you don't always see a lot of that brotherly love. From, from, have you ever noticed that? Uh, but we've got to see it here. <laughs> it's a family term. And the term be devoted to is also a family term. It's a, a term that when you get into a family, you remain with one another. It's a devotion that even if you get on one another's nerves, you're still in the same family, right? And, and it means also some sort of affection that is there. These words are words that in the ancient world were almost only used for blood relationships. And here the Bible uses them for us. He says, learn to treat one another the way a good family treats one another. Now, if you don't come from a good family, it might be hard to understand. But I bet you can understand it. Because if you feel like you have a, a family that's not so good, I bet you can envision what a good family might be like. 
it, it's, a, it's a family where everybody knows one another. So we know one another's flaws, but we'll stick with one another and love one another anyway. It, it, it's a family where we may be able to point out things that our brothers and sisters need to know, but we, when they do, we know they're going to stick with us. As fa- Are you with me here? I'll tell you, I, I was thinking, how do I illustrate this? So I thought about my big brother, Chuck. Now, he was killed by a, a drunk driver back in Laredo, Texas, 1992. So I almost weep when I think about him. But my, my brother was a, a strong guy, weightlifter, football player, truck driver. So we grew up in West Virginia. He was two years older, biggest, strongest kid in school. Um, when we walked from home to our school together, it was about a mile. I always told my kids both ways going up the hill and always with snow, <laughs> we would go. And, and it was known that there were always these bullies along the way. We always knew where they, they'd be standing and cu- giving people a hard time. But I am just telling you, when you walk to school with your brother, who is the biggest and strongest kid in school, it made a difference when those uh, bullies uh, came up. I knew I had nothing to fear. Now, I've got to tell you about my brother. He saw the flaws in his younger brother, and he so often pointed them out. And, and, and uh, he would also confront me with things he thought could be different. But I'll tell you this, too. If anybody else tore down his brother, they were going to have both of us to deal with. See, it's that kind of family love where we actually can deal with one another and talk about real issues with one another and disagree, but know that we're with one family, with one father who sent his son to die for us. Now, I'll tell you, this is countercultural. This unbreakable kind of affection for one another is counterculture because we don't even want to talk about differences in our, our world. Again, what happens on websites now more and more is if you only go into certain sort of ideological perspectives, your computer will pick that up and they'll send you only the things that you already agree with. Did you know that happens? Uh, so I think my computer is very confused because I try to read all, all, all sorts of things in this world. I heard this morning, 11 o'clock you get this stuff. I heard this morning as I was watching CBS Sunday Morning that in our universities right now, both those who would be considered more conservative and those that would, most would consider more liberal, that right now people are trying to, be, they're trying to shield their students, or students are arguing that they need to be shielded from having differing intellectual perspectives coming into their mind, they're creating safe places so that students don't have to be disturbed because their teachers might disagree with them. <laughs> uh, you're, you should look really shocked about this. That is not what we're supposed to be. Listen, brothers and sisters, the kind of family that Jesus brings together comes from all over the world. We'll bring many different perspectives. Sometimes we are going to disagree, but one thing is going to hold us together. The gospel of Jesus Christ that we have experienced because we have found mercy that we desperately needed when we placed our faith in him will hold on to the gospel and will interact across the walls with one another and will grow to be more of what God would have us to be. That's not in my notes, so you're going to have to stay a few moments longer. An unbreakable affection that we won't leave simply because somebody disagrees with us. And, and, and that has to be blended with the second thing, a mutual respect in this phrase in verse 10. Honor one another above yourselves. Tell me we do that in our world. Uh, it's, it's wonderfully written the way the Apostle Paul writes it. It's both a command and a challenge. 
on one side where he says, look around you at your church brothers and sisters, and you've got to honor them, esteem them more highly than yourself. It's really what Jeremy led us in, in the reading. This is what Jesus did, being in very nature God. He didn't consider that something he had to hold on to for his own benefit. He emptied himself and became a servant to us, even to death. And that's what we are supposed to do for one another. And notice, it's a command, not a suggestion. Esteem your brothers and sisters as above, uh, as above yourself. It's Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, in which we read, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In humility, value the rest of your ch- church family more than you even value yourself. So different from so many, it's not that you come into the church and say, oh, um, I really want this to happen. Um, this is uh, what my heart language is. This is my favorite kind of music. You should look around and say, oh, look at those people. They're older or younger than I am. I hope there's something here that my brother or sister can worship with. Honor them as above yourself. It's commanded, not suggested. But the other way it can be read is as a co- family competition because it can be translated this way, outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. So I've got to tell you, sometimes after I preach a message, uh, some of you occasionally write me a note, not always fully agreeing with everything I've said. Can you, <laughs> can you believe that? Um, what I love is I can't even remember the last time that I got a note from anyone that I didn't feel was filled with respect. I'll just tell you, I don't have all truth. I need you sometimes to say, what about this, Pastor? I don't want to be faithful to God's word. And so I I need to hear that. So I just love this place more than any church I've ever served. um, I'm thankful for the respect you show me. So now, taking up Paul's challenge to me, I'm going to outdo you in showing respect to you. (laughs) If we'll be a church like that, just think what kind of church we're going to be. So the first thing is uh, an unbreakable affection, a mutual respect for one another, and then a spirit-fueled strength to keep doing this in the context of loving one another, never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor, a fervor from the Holy Spirit as you serve the Lord. I feel like with this verse, verse 11, we're kind of brought into the cold reality of how hard it is be a family that doesn't agree on every possible point. Don't you feel? And sometimes we just get tired. Do you ever feel that? Get tired of loving these Lake Avenue church people who sometimes aren't all that lovable. I think I'll go out and find more bunch of lovable people, more lovable people somewhere else. And he says, no, when you begin to feel like that, don't do that. Never be lacking in that zeal for loving those who have received the mercy of God with you. Keep your spiritual fervor. It's almost as if he says, the only way this is going to happen is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And brothers and sisters, that's what we have. When you receive Jesus, the Spirit of God comes into your life, and the Spirit of God is among us. And then this perspective Serve in this way, love in this way, as if you are serving the Lord. Because you are. Because each one of us bears the image of God. So just think about a family like that. Unbreakable affection, a mutual respect, a spirit-fueled strength to keep going and not to give up on one another, and then a hope-filled patience with one another. Look at these three phrases in verse 12. Be joyful in hope patient in affliction, 
and faithful in prayer. I feel like those three phrases combine to say something like this. Family, stay on course together because you have a shared hope that whenever things get to be really difficult, you, the father who is the father over this entire family is going to be the victor of everything. We already know who's going to win this battle. So be joyful in that hope. Don't give up too quickly because I don't give up on you is what I see God saying. And when the afflictions come and it's really hard to keep going on, he says, be patient because I am patient with you. Forgive as I have forgiven you, accept as I have accepted you all the language of the Bible. And finally, this thing that really seals it, pray together. Pray together, be faithful in prayer. And when, when I put it all together, it seems to me coming from God's word, it's the kind of culture that should be in every local church where Jesus is the Lord in all over the world. You can probably tell I've been praying about this for us, that God might see more and more of this developing in us. And it really is flowing out of God's mercy because what he talks about is you have experienced the love of God. And now I want you to show it. Because in verse nine, that word calling you and me to love is the word agape. And in the book of Romans, the only, it's, it's always used for God's love for us, except for here. In other words, it's saying now that you've experienced the love of God, now you show it to one another. I'll tell you, that's what I'm praying will happen here. You'll join me in prayer about that, right? And then even this wonderful thing, I don't know if you listened carefully as Emmanuel was reading from the first John passage, this says, don't just talk about it, don't let your love just be with speech, but you gotta live it. And here, Paul, in, in, much shorter than John did, tells us two phrases that tell us what it looks like. One is sharing with your brothers and sisters who have needs. Second is hospitality. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. What I see him saying is if that kind of culture of love without hypocrisy grows, you're going to know it's growing because when there are needs in the church, you'll share with one another. Uh, the word translated share is koinonia has to do with becoming a community where you are connected to one another. What it really is talking about is within the life of the church, you get to know one another well enough to know what the needs are. And the word that he uses for needs, yeah, they have to do with financial needs, but it's more than that. It's with all the needs of a human being, with our physical needs, when, when there's sickness that comes in the body has to do with our mental and emotional needs when anxiety or depression is overwhelming us, needs for guidance, uh, relational needs, brokenness in our friendships or in our families. In a church, we share so that you don't walk alone. And my sense is, the Lord says, if you learn to do this, you'll find that the needs can always be met together with your brothers and sisters and in the power of the Holy Spirit. So I pray that that will become more and more of the life of our body and then for those who may simply sort of be passing through, show hospitality. Um, you may not know this, he wrote this letter to Romans. In the first century world, something really interesting that has almost never happened in, to the same degree was taking place. Uh, one language was spoken by almost all people in, in, uh, who were dealing with 
education or commerce, and that was Greek. And the roads at that time could, could take you almost anywhere in that part of the world. And so in Rome, one of the central cities, there are constantly people passing through. And you can imagine what took place. Christians from other communities would come through and go to church and stop at Rome, a whole lot like Los Angeles, a whole lot like right here on the 210. We probably had more people who just passed by here at Lake Avenue than any other place I've ever been. We have a lot of people whose work lives make it so that you can only be here occasionally, have students who can only sometimes be here. And what he says is, notice who's there who can't always be there. Welcome them. Make sure they feel at home. He also, I think this speaks to us about the distinctive place, a role that a church can play in, in the immigration debate. Our, our government has to do certain things uh, that the government must do. But as a church, whenever people come across our paths and come in, when there are brothers and sisters in Christ, we have to treat them like we would treat our biological brothers and sisters. See the image of God in them, making sure that we are going to be a place of welcoming and belonging, and I pray that those practical outworkings, the work of God's Spirit among us, will be true here, that will be a place where needs are met and where hospitality is shown. Now, now that kind of love can only happen when we know one another, right? I mean, so how are we going to know one another well enough to be able to know when there are needs or when somebody's just passing through or doesn't feel like he or she belongs? Well, I think it can begin to happen in our worship services. I mean, Jeremy and Dwayne, how much time do you give us to greet one another? About 45 seconds. Something can start in 45 seconds. You can at least see a different face. You can see the image of God in that other person. And you might even be able to say, hey, maybe we can go out to lunch afterwards and uh, show hospitality and begin a relationship that can deepen. Uh, I've even found that in our world, God has given us a gift that isn't always used very well, but can be used in that, and that is technology. I have a group of men that uh, we kind of study the Word and pray together with. What I have found out is that through the use of sending texts, we've been able to create quite a prayer fellowship. Now, Chris isn't always as excited about this as I am as prayer requests come through at 3 o'clock in the morning, and I keep my phone there beside me, and it goes bing, 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 and she'll say, turn that thing off, but I've got to pray for someone, you know. But all I can say is it has created such a bond of prayer that might not be possible otherwise, and that's possible. But the main thing there is it's not just the worship service, but also where you're able to find a small group here at the church. That's where you can get to know one another and pray with one another and serve with one another. And at the end of the church service, you can go through the Connect banner and we'll try to help you to find one if you haven't found one up to now. And I'd be remiss if I didn't point out that this command to us to love one another without hypocrisy follows right on the heels of the call of the Bible to have us serve one another. I have talked with so many, you know, church people over these many years, and as I've talked with church people and I've asked, where have you experienced the love of God among the people of God? Almost always the answer is when I've served together with others. I see a few of you nodding with me. You get to know those who serve alongside of you as you talk, work with them and you pray with them. 
You get to experience the love of those who have taught you or cared for you as they lead, lead you or and when you've gotten to that point of leading others. Not only have they experienced your love for them, but they've, you've experienced their love coming back to you. And that's why I so much underscore what Heidi said earlier about the privilege, the opportunity that you would have to be able to show the love of God and experience the love of the God through serving uh, our children. I, I had no idea that serving our children would, would enhance my cognitive ability. First service, I said, I need to find more children. And afterwards, we had three pregnant moms over here saying, we've got some children that you can take care of if you need. So I'm not going to say it in exactly the same way now. But I will tell you, if the Lord has put that on your heart, it will be one of the greatest ways, not only for you to show the love of God, but I'll tell you, from our children, you will experience the love of God coming back to you. And before we go... I know that this is sanctity of human life weekend. Um, this is a weekend that fits this message so much because sanctity of life is that once you follow Jesus, you and I begin to see something sacred in every human life. Something that God has put in each one, made in his image. Every person, one for whom Jesus died and for whom the salvation of Christ is sufficient. And that includes particularly those that we think about this week, uh, the young moms, usually young moms who come and are not sure that they can keep their children. How do we deal with that? As young moms come and, and often the dad will also be there, I think this, this text guides us that the first thing I think God tells us to do this, what Jesus would always do when we see people. We will see the imago dei, the image of God in that person and love them and want the best for them as we do within a family, right? That's the mom, that's the dad, that's the child inside the womb. We see with the eyes with which God sees us. Then we abhor the evil and love the good. We just hate whatever it is that would lead anybody to think that I should take that child and, and not give birth to that child. I mean, it could be the bad choices that led to it. it. It could be the poverty that they just feel like there's just no way that we'll be able to support this child. It could be the broken families that they say, how can I bring a child into this kind of a family, into this kind of a world? But what we have to do is to look and say, we will show you hospitality. We will tell you that we won't just wag our fingers at you. We'll open up our arms and say, if you will keep that child, you will find a family, a community of faith who will walk with you. I don't know if you know this. We have a wonderful partner that we work with in this kind of ministry. Uh, they're located right around the corner, the 400 block of Lake Avenue. It's the Women's Pregnancy Care Clinic. I think I have the uh, website up there in front of you. What did I do with my baby bottle? Um, did, did, I, did I bring that? Did I knock it over? I was carrying it this morning, and everybody was giving They couldn't figure out whether the pastor had lost his mind uh, with this. So if you go out, we have some representatives of the clinic right outside uh, the center door and then to the right. And this isn't just a baby bottle. It's a bank. Because our partner is going through a time uh, doing work this way is harder than just going out and telling people that's bad. Really walking alongside takes people resources and financial resources. Just mark it down. And they are going through a time of tremendous need. And so um, 
Perhaps there's a way that you, this might be the place where God would have you to serve or to support. They're having an open house. It's going on right now. Don't leave yet. But uh, it's going to go on until 2 o'clock. You can go around the corner and speak with them. And I can tell you that if you will love people in this way, I think you will experience the love of God yourself in a brand new way. Well, I should stop there. Can you tell that this passage has been deep on my heart, on my mind this week? I just feel like this is the, one of those passages where God turns to us and says, I sent my son to offer you mercy. When you receive it, I bring you into one family and give you to one another. And this is what I want my families to look like. That's how I felt about this. I've been praying more and more that God would help work among us and help this to be more and more true of us. I'll ask you to join me in prayer about that because I am just convinced that the more we really learn to love this way, love without hypocrisy, love in actions, the more our own experience of the love of God will deepen. So I'll leave you that reset phrase again. In view of God's mercy, let your love for your Lake Avenue church family be genuine and without hypocrisy. And it will be to your joy and to his glory. Amen. Amen. Let me lead us. Thank you. Let me lead us in prayer. So, Father, take these your words, and in every place I've been faithful to them, through the power of your Spirit, work them into our hearts. For some who may not know the Lord Jesus as their Savior, may this be their day of finding eternal life through faith in him. For the rest of us, Father, speak to us in whatever ways you will that we might become more of this kind of loving body of believers here in Pasadena that we know you want us to be. And for this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.